<laughs> this is Kevin Evans with the chapter by chapter life class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And today we are venturing into the Gospel of John. Amen. Amen. Uh, it has been a long trip, but we are working our way through all four Gospels in chronological order, and John is the last of the four. Uh, just as a kind of a setup for it, we kind of need to look at the author and the date and the purpose of any book that we start. And, um, well, it was written by, um, I know this is a shock, John. Um, yeah, there actually is a, a theological discussion out there that a possible writer of this book is John the Elder and not John the Apostle, son of Zebedee. John the Elder was a early church leader in Jerusalem who was about 15, I think, or so years younger than the Apostle. And uh, there is very, very little I believe, evidence to support that theory. I think that's somebody trying to write a doctoral thesis and, you know, cause some waves. Anyway, uh, there is evidence throughout the book itself that John wrote it. Uh, partly, he, there are first eyewitness, firsthand information kind of stories that are all the way through. Uh, he refers to all the apostles, but never himself which in itself indicates that he wrote it. Uh, and he, re he doesn't refer to himself when other disciples in the same story refer to him as John. So we know who the apostle that Jesus loved is because he's referenced other places. Uh, and you know, and if, if anybody else had written it but John, John would be mentioned. And so I, I think that in itself blows the elder argument out of the way. Not that that was anything significant. So yeah. Yeah, John wrote it. So who was John? He was the beloved disciple, son of Zebedee. Yes. Uh, he had a brother named James. They were fishermen. They may or may not have been in direct partnership with Peter. They were working the same uh, lake, and they were doing the same job, and they hung out in the same places because that's, they were all in the same place when Jesus showed up. Uh, and so we assume that John and Peter were at least cooperative, if not direct partners. Uh, John is probably the youngest of the 12 disciples uh, based on a lot of uh, literary conventions and how the apostles are presented. Peter was probably the eldest. So here's Gospel of Kevin Wild Spinning. I would say that Peter was in his mid to late 30s, uh, maybe a bit over than Jesus himself. Uh, and I would say that John was in his early 20s uh, compared to the rest of the apostles, and they all fell in in the middle of that range. Um, John is uh, one of the sons of thunder because his father was Zebedee, and James and John are referred to as the sons of thunder. Uh, in John, the first chapter, we see John and Andrew who was Peter's younger brother. Hi, I'm Andrew from the... No, right, your namesake. Uh, he was, uh, they, were, they were following John the Baptist and kind of as a, as a general disciple and keeping up with John the Baptist's teachings and, you know, and, and following him. And then when John the Baptist baptizes Christ, John, the apostle, leaves John the Baptist and follows Christ, which is what they told him to do. And at that point... He goes and tells Peter, not his brother, James. They, he goes with Andrew to tell Peter because Peter is the big shot in the company and he is evidently just as interested in the coming of the Messiah as they are. And they're all waiting on you know, the big Messiah to come throw off the boot of the Romans off their neck and you know, lead the Jews to the great glory of the future. Uh, like is in prophecy. They're waiting for this great religious, you know, uh, upheaval led by this Messiah. And they're hoping for it. So Peter comes in day two and uh, it shows up. And at that point, you know, he's got, what, four or five apostles. Uh, so that all happens in that, in that first chapter. So that's kind of who he is. He was also entrusted to take care of Christ's mother. Yeah, that happens later. Uh, John's gospel 
is different than the other three. And theologians fuss over this a lot. Uh, Mark wrote his gospel to the Jews and he was capturing the sequence of events that led to Christ's death and ascension. It, it only covers the last you know, few weeks of his life. And uh, it's, a, it's a fair attempt at uh, capturing all of these sermons and stories that he has been hearing in all of these little uh, you know, church meetings he's been having with the Christians. And uh, he writes this and starts making copies of it so that they can spread this word accurately to other churches, which makes sense. You know, we're codifying the message. Well, Matthew gets a hold of that and he sees the inadequacies of what Mark has been writing. I think that's fair. Because Matthew, I assume, is taking Mark's gospel and saying, look, we've got this recording of the gospel. Here is what Christ is all about. Oh yeah, and I was there, and let me tell you this story. It's not, it's, it's not in here. Let me tell you this story. That's the gospel according to Kevin. Uh, gospel according to Matthew. And so Matthew is filling in, you know, his own personal experiences. And, you know, after being a professional preacher for 10, 15 years, he's got all these practiced messages that he's used to giving. And so he writes his version of the gospel. It may not have been 10 years. I think those two gospels were written pretty close together. Uh, so he adds all of his experiences and writes a broader spectrum of Christ's life. Also, he is targeting the Jewish people. He focuses on Christ being descended from the tribe of Judah. He is a descendant of David. He is the coming king. He is the Jewish Messiah. This is the one. All you Jewish people, pay attention. This is the one. That's what Matthew is saying. Okay? He's, it's not really directed toward Gentiles. He's speaking inside Hebrew Jewish talk all the way through. You know, he's referencing uh, uh, festivals and feasts that have deep meaning to the Jews that a Gentile wouldn't really get. You know? And so that's, that's who he's targeting. And then along comes Luke, who is a disciple of Peter, who wasn't there for any of it, but he's evidently rather gifted and a doctor and a good writer and a scribe. And he's following around Peter and uh, also preaching, but he starts interviewing all of the main people and uh, that were there and he gets firsthand interviews and he adds a little bit here and there but he adds detail to this picture that Matthew has given us. So we get a more thorough chronological detailed record. Not so much a preachy thing to try to convince people but a record and Luke is from a Gentile background. He is Greek. And so he's also preaching from, well, he's writing from his own background, but he's writing to, that's his audience too. He has written a book that is targeted toward a Gentile audience so that a Gentile audience will understand who Christ is to them. It's not just a Jewish thing, it is a world thing. And then time goes by and they go, all go out and preach and they die off in ugly ways. And Peter is executed by the Romans. John falls into some bad company and gets boiled alive and survives it. What a story there. And then John, and this is, again, according to Kevin, as an old man who has been preaching the gospel his whole life, is the last living apostle. He was the last one that was there. And then he died of old age. Not yet. He well, needs to prepare the next generation for this ministry because he knows he won't be here forever and he's going to be called home to his reward. And so he documents his gospel, but he does not need to go back over Christ's life and retell 
the manger story, our retail, the ascension, our retail, at least seven significant points in Christ's life, which would have been nice if he had talked about a little bit, I think. Uh, no, he skips all of that. Uh, this isn't a recording of Christ's life. Well, it's chronological, but he only pulls in illustrations and stories that feed into what his point. This is a sermon. Actually, I think it's a combination of sermons that he has pulled together in one big cohesive unit and it is practiced, it is edited, it is don't you think it was because perfect. Don't you think yeah. it was because he wanted to make sure it, it was kind of like he was in a rush, so he skipped the stuff that he didn't feel it he felt like yeah. it wasn't it's, as important so he could get the facts down fast because he didn't it, It's a matter of what's important. He's 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 preaching the why of things and not the what of things. And so he's not concerned about, you know, facts and chronology. It's not a history. It is, he, he, he's explaining the gospel of Christ. And he's not talking to Gentiles or Jews. He is an evangelist. Christ is God. Christ is God. Christ is the life. Christ is the light. Christ, you know, he is, it, it's, it's evangelical. And, and that's his purpose. And, I, and as you get into this, as all the preachers in the room know, what, you were in my speech class, right? Okay. You never got this far. You never got this far. But you, you, what I used to teach my speech class was that you, 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 you work out your speech, you figure out all the things you're going to say, and you make little note cards. This is old school. And then you read it out loud once, and it, and it takes 10 minutes to get through the whole thing. And it's brutal, and you don't know what to say, and there's all these gaps, and you start to say this thing, and then, you know, it, it, so, so Abraham Lincoln was, no, and, and, and Abraham Lincoln was, oh, he was the 16th president, and then he, and, and there was this, there was that speech, what was it called, Gettysburg? Oh, okay, Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president, and he gave the Gettysburg Address. Okay. And you do that with all those little repeats and restarts and, and you're not quite sure where it's gonna go, then you immediately, and this is what none of my students ever did. They ran through it one time and then they gave their speech because, you know, why suffer? And so uh, you go through it a second time and you've already made all those little tiny decisions and you start off with Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States and he wrote the Gettysburg Address. It's nice and smooth, that one sentence, and you cut out all those other little half starts and it goes from 10 minutes to like five and you think I just gave the same speech it was exactly the same speech but it was half as long oh my goodness what's happening yeah. and then you go through it a third time and not only do you have you made all those decisions but now you've gone through it slick and you realize that there are emphasis places in the speech where you can uh, you know draw attention to a point and you put all these little uh, subtle swells in your delivery and, and it, get, sometimes it gets shorter, brother. It gets shorter the third time, just a little bit more. And then it kind of stops there. And then, you know, three times through, three times through will, will make it glorious. The fourth time through, there's really not too much improvement. You're just remembering a little bit better how you did it the, first, the third time. Now, if I'm going to go deliver an important speech, I may go through it five or six so that I've locked down exactly how I'm going to do a delivery. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's not what I'm doing for this, by the way. This is totally extent. Uh, preachers do that. But preachers will give this one sermon that they're really, really proud of and really feel strongly about, and they know that the Spirit's in it, and they want to you know, find another audience. Well, I've got this, I've got this, this, this sermon over here. I'm going to do this one. It's already prepared. And so you go through that again. And this time, they don't quite react the way they did the first time. And the first time, you, everybody was, was really with you, and this time you're kind of losing them. And you think, what did I do wrong? And so you, you, you change your emphasis in certain places so that the next time you give your speech, you're, you're the same sermon, and if you're traveling, you're giving the same sermon over and over again to different people, right, 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 as I look at the preachers in the room. Uh, and, so, and so eventually it's, it's polished. 
and you know exactly what reaction that your audience is going to get on every little nuance and every little word and you'll have and you'll have these little segments of a speech that you can stick in the middle of this other sermon and, and in the middle of this sermon where you're making a big point you know this ending that you use in that other one you stick it in here and then and, and, and it flows and that's what my esteemed father-in-law called a sugar stick. It was your sugar stick message, the thing that you worked on till utter perfection. And I realize I'm starting to lecture here, and I apologize. Uh, a good example of this is the Martin Luther King I Have a Dream speech. It's not called the I Have a Dream speech. Could you tell me what the name of his speech is actually called? Come on, come on, come on, Mr. Historian. What's it actually called? I That's my point. It's called the blank check. The blank check. He, he spends a solid 10 minutes. It's actually, you know, it, it's a pretty lengthy uh, speech on how uh, the United States has given a bad, oh, bad check, excuse me. He's given a bad check to, to blacks in America. And he explains how we have supposedly addressed all of the uh, issues of, of, of uh, equality, but it hasn't followed through. And he has this big allegory to passing a bad check. And it, nobody remembers that part of the speech. It's actually very well written and it flows very well. But it and, it, and it was appropriate to the time and to the place where he was giving the speech. It was a good speech for its place. What we remember is his closing. It's just a closing. And he starts with, I have a dream today. And, and we've heard that one so many times. And it was perfect. And it was powerful. And it punches all the way through. And white America listened to that. And they said, oh my goodness. This guy is eloquent. That was the best speech I've ever heard. And black America thought, oh, this again. Because it was a closing that he had used dozens and dozens and dozens of times as he traveled all across America, speaking in black churches to black audiences about his dream for equality. And it was perfectly memorized. He didn't have to go back and write all that down. He did. He's, he, he, you know, but because uh, I've, I've seen copies of the notes that he had. But, uh, you know, it was something he'd done a lot. That was the sugar stick. And that's what we remember because it was practiced and polished. It was poetry. And it is poetry because he uses repetition in a poetic way and it builds and swells. I, I teach that, I used to teach that class in our speech classes. Did you, did you get I Have a Dream? I'm not sure. I changed it every few years. Anyway, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, John is writing down his sugar stick messages and oh my goodness, the first half of chapter one is poetry. Technically, in Jewish terms, in Hebrew terms, Hebrew poetry is always written in meter so that you can chant it. This is not written that way. So technically, it's not a poem. But it's a poem. It's written with such dense language that on the surface, it's very powerful and it flows, but every word he has in there has a density to it that it would take us forever to dig stuff out of it. You know, he basically sums up all of Christianity and all of Christ in what, 18 verses, bang. If someone asked you what Christianity is about, you need to read the, 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 the prologue to John and that, that sums it all up. And then they're gonna look at you and go, what? And then you're going to have to explain it for the next 15 hours. You know, it, 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 it's dense stuff. So, as I babble, I've got people saying that it was written before 70 AD because that was the fall of the, the that's when the Romans destroyed the temple. There are references to things around the temple and so forth, but John speaks in present tense all the way through this 
and it was obviously written decades after it happened. And so I don't know that the tense is necessarily important. And it very well could be later in his life. I personally believe it's later in his life. Okay, what did I miss? Uh, moving on after the prologue, uh, John chooses seven different, he calls them signs of Christ. And he gives uh, miracles, that Christ, stories that, that, that Christ uh, performed a miracle and, and interacted with other people. And, and each of them, he, he asks us to make a decision on whether or not this, this is God. Each of these miracles are specifically there to show us that Christ is the Son of God and God. You know, and th th that's his point. Uh, seven is his favorite number, and he chooses seven in the structure of this. So he's obviously leaving things out. Only one of them is something we've seen in another gospel. All six of the miracles, other than the, that last one, seven, is, is, is specific to him. And so these are stories that where he was actually present or he was, uh, you know, knows this story that everybody else has skipped in the other Gospels. Because why would he want to repeat the same story that's been told in the other Gospels? That's been done, right? You know, he's, he's adding to the Gospel here. I'm certain that he has read the other three Gospels and preached from them. After he has his seven signs, there are seven I am statements. <clears throat> And basically, it's uh, seven times that Christ declared who he was. And again, is to prove that Christ is God. It's evangelical. And, uh, and that gets us about halfway in. Um, I like this statement. Um, I, I forget who said it first. But John is a, a tale told simply with depths of meaning. And it's a gospel in which a child may wade and an elephant may swim. So we're going to uh, get into the deep water and thrash around. Are we going to be the child or the elephant? We're going to pretend to be the elephant and hopefully make it out alive. Yes. You know, the way, the, way, the, the, way I, the way I swim. Yeah. What is that? Child and the elephant? What? John is written and polished simply enough that a child can read it and understand it. And, and be engaged by it. But there's depth of meaning to this to the point that you, you can't really get to the bottom of it. Does that make sense? Okay, so a child may wade, but an elephant may swim. There's this depth to it also. That, that's his point. Okay. I've used up half our time babbling and I haven't even started. Okay, you've got notes, and it says John chapter 0. If you'll turn that over, I just dropped mine on the floor. Maybe y'all should have a foot battle. Uh, it says John chapter 1. And let's jump in here. Um. All right, I'm going to read 1 through 18, which is a big chunk, and then we'll take it apart as much as we can. Uh, chapter 1, John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Well, you have the wrong Bible then, don't you, no. Phil? Which is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Uh-huh. You know, it was written in Greek, and we translated in English, right? Okay, all right, just, just say it. All right, all right. All right. Um, <clears throat> in the beginning was the... Well, he didn't say Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This is a reference to Genesis. Uh, Genesis 1 is uh, in the beginning... You know, God stepped out and well, I, don't, I don't have the quote, uh, but but he's referencing verbiage from Genesis one, and uh, so he's retelling the beginning of the world. So God speaks the world into existence. He said, "Let there be light," and there was light. God's words made light happen. God's words made creation happen. John is literally saying the word that created creation is Christ. Can you get your head around that strange anthropomorphic concept? You know? Uh, that means that Christ existed as Christ in the beginning and we can get into the whole and still does today. huh and still does today. yes uh the the, the uh the whole yeah 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 kenny and i have had this uh going lecture that will take three hours to get through and i'm trying not to avoid it and reference it at the same time uh, yes, God can begin. Jesus Christ, as the human manifestation of God, can begin 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. But God exists outside of time. Eternity is not duration. Eternity is no time. Eternity is a constant moment. God, God is unchanging because he can't change. He is existing in one great Moment. He's outside of time and space. And so creation is this thing with dimensions in it, and he is outside it in no dimension. You know? So when he inserts himself in the middle of the creation, that's a moment, but he's still connected to eternity. And so Jesus is born and grows to his adulthood, but that he still exists in the beginning and the Jesus aspect of God creates the universe because that's who God is. That's what confused the Jews so much when you would say yeah. oh, it's before Moses. Yes. And you get in there going, how is it before but, Moses? But they, but they did get it and there were references to the Messiah existing as a spiritual entity in the Old Testament. That wasn't, their problem was that he was claiming to be Messiah. Yes. That was, they knew what he was saying. They yeah. knew exactly what he was saying. He was claiming his messiahship. And that packed them off. Sure. Because uh, it's kind of a big claim. It is a big claim. Uh, so, here, so, so John is calling Christ the word. And the word in, in, in the Hebrew is considered, whatever the Hebrew word for that, it, it implies God. Uh, uh, there, there are Old Testament references to the word as being God. 
Uh, now, with the Greeks, the Greek word for, for word is logos, and logos is a little different. It's not deity, but it's reason, it's rationalism, it's logic. Uh, logos is the base word for logic. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when he says, in the beginning was the word, it's like all of human reason and logic and reality is coming from God. Well, that's not inaccurate, you know? And so a Jew and a Gentile are going to hear this sermon maybe interpreted a little bit differently, but John is reinterpreting both of those words and saying, Jesus Christ is the word and Jesus Christ is divine and Jesus Christ existed with the God, the Father before time began. And he's taking their definitions of this word and changing it just a little bit to tie it into Genesis and to give Christ relevance because his message is that Christ is God. Even Paul, which I can read this here in, in Romans 1 and 3 and 4, it says, Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So even Paul references his divine divinity. Yes. Verse 3. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Another little refrain of poetry that will take ten minutes to figure out. Uh, through him all things were made. So God spoke the word into the world into existence. Christ is the word, so through Christ everything is made. So he was there creating the heavens and the earth. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Okay. The Greeks, because this was written in Greek, the Greeks had three separate words for life. There is bios, which means Physical life. So uh, biology is a, is a word that we get from that root. Uh, so bios is uh, you have an animal that's bios and you kill it and he's not bios anymore. That's life. You know. Uh, and then there's, and I'm going to butcher this, suchi? Was that right? Suchi? Okay, I figured you would know. Okay, and uh, yes, it is the base word for the word psyche, and so, uh, and the, the Greeks, psychology, yes, thank you, Mr. Psychologist, <laughs> had to hear it. Uh, the, the best definition, well, one of the definitions I saw is soul life. It, 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 it's a reference to everything that's going on in your head. It is your thoughts, it is your emotions, it's who you are when you're alone. You know, it's, it's, it's the essence of your mental being. It is your soul. Maslow really didn't get into spirituality, did he? Yeah, Maslow. Maslow, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Maslow. Do you remember Maslow from speech class? Because we hit that really hard. Really? You don't remember it at all? Oh, man, that hurts my feelings. It's only, it's only been 10 years. So, okay. All right. Well, you know, I just like to know I made an impact. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I, I teach Maslow hard in high school. Yeah, I know. Anyway, um, Maslow didn't get into the spirit, though, which is the third word and in Greek, and that is Zoe. And I have a niece named Zoe. Do you know a Zoe? It's relatively common. Uh, it, means, it means eternal life. It's um, uncreated life. It's spirit. 
it's, it's the life of God. And so it, it's the part of you that doesn't die when your bios dies. And the Greeks had a concept of that too. You know, that they, they, they knew that there was, a, a, I think all man knows that they have a spirit in there somewhere. They, we don't wanna embrace the idea that when we die it's over and we're just another animal. There are a few men that have said that and stuck to it to the end, but they are outliers. Uh, Zoe is the spirit. John uses Zoe in this verse. He is not referring to biological life. He is not referring to your mental life. He is referring to your spirit. So he says, in him was spirit. In him was eternal life. In him was eternity, glory. In him was God. And that life was the light of men. Can we get by without Zoe? Is it meaningful without Zoe? Without Zoe, we're we're dogs. We're dogs. Because a dog has physical life and a dog has mental life. I like dogs. I don't know if you know. Uh, but do dogs don't have a spiritual life. There's not a connection to God. They're always kind of feral. Only in the cartoons. <laughs> Only if you talk to Disney. <laughs> Although C.S. Lewis says it might be possible. I don't know. You might disagree with C.S. You know, that's because he really liked dogs. Yeah, there you go. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can't, we, okay, I'm, I'm not going to debate this. <laughs> not going here. This is chasing a rabbit and I start, I started this. I'm very sorry. Okay, so uh, Zoe is what he's referring to. And that is our light. That is our meaning. It is what makes us, makes, it's what makes it meaningful and useful. Without it, we are wandering. And that light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood it. Okay, there's a different translation for that in some versions. What does yours say? What verse are you on? Uh, the last one, five. Five. The and, the light. Light, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. I mean the same thing. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, NLT. Okay. says the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Extinguish it? Yeah. yeah. Right. I like that. Okay. Let, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm working this really hard. Um, in physics, light is a thing. Light is energy. Light is a movement of either particles or waves, uh, depending on how you look at it, uh, as it moves electrons through matter. Um, darkness is nothing. Darkness is the void. So darkness in physics cannot overcome the light. In fact, when you have light in any form, darkness ceases to exist. It, it annihilates darkness. Darkness is not a thing all by itself. There isn't any energy or matter in darkness. Does that make sense? And so looking at it from a, a, a scientific view, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. It's beyond that. Darkness flees. Darkness disintegrates. Darkness vanishes. Light is important to our existence and 
we need it. And when we don't have it, I would even go so far as to say we create it. Let me chase a short rabbit, I promise. I'm currently reading a wonderful book called All the Light We Cannot See, which won a Pulitzer Prize a couple of years ago. And uh, one of the main characters is a little blind French girl. And uh, as we explore this little blind French girl's life, uh, it describes her view of the world from a very visual, sensory way. Because she is perceiving her world by sound and touch, predominantly. Now, she was sighted until she was six, so she knows what things look like, kind of. She, she, she knows what people look like, she knows what colors were, but then she lost her vision. So now when she meets people, she has to reconstruct what that person looks like in her head based upon what she knows already. And it has color. And so people think that blind people are in a state of darkness. They're not in a state of darkness. Their perception is just based on a different set of senses and they recreate this picture. And so her father is orange. He's warm. But when his mood changes, she sees him as sharp, bright blues. And she doesn't remember her mother but she thinks of her fondly, and when they talk of her, she's always white because she doesn't know how to relate to her mother. And sounds have a percussive you know, vision to it. There are shapes to sounds. So there are soft sounds or smooth, and loud sounds are sharp and pointy. Uh, and, 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 and that's kind of a natural way that our brain interprets stimuli, and that all is kind of captured in this book. And so the point of the book is that there are elements in this world that we cannot see. It goes into radio waves too, but that's something else. All the light you cannot see. It's about World War II, and, uh, and uh, a first edition signed is so far out of my reach now that I'll never own one, Yick. You, you do not. <laughs> you do not. The day the Pulitzer was announced, they were selling for $800 a copy. So, yes, so much for that point in my collection. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's not go there. Okay. Uh, light is critically important to us. Light is how we perceive the world. In fact, as I take this too far, I would even say that light doesn't exist here. Light is all in here. Your brain is interpreting a lot of electromagnetic stimuli that is bouncing off of the various elements in this room. It's just a perception of energy off of matter. And depending on the wavelength of that energy, you, the receptors in the back of your eye are giving you the color. The color in itself doesn't exist. The color is created in your eye. Yeah, I can give you, I can give you one better than Okay, hit me as we confuse everybody. Yeah. Well, no, this is actually real for okay, me yeah. every well, day. I, I said it was real too. What do you mean actually in, real? In, in, a, in, a, okay. in, a light, in a lighted room, I don't see it. But when it's dark, because we, as you get older, sometimes the tissue breaks away from around the retina. And when it does, it lets light go into the brain that the brain's not used to seeing. So when I turn my head right and left, I get these white flashing lights. And excellent illustration of my example. So what you are seeing is a different than what I'm seeing because there's something goofy with your eye. Right, and then okay. in the, in the dark, and in the dark it, it's annoying in the dark because turn my head right and left and this white light Does flashes. Does it keep you awake? No, so oh. when I close my eyes it's okay and like I said in a light room right like this I don't see the, the light but in the, if I close my eyes and turn my head I see the white light. In one in every thousand men uh, they have, there's a birth defect where half of the little receptors in the back of your eye, it's the, the cones actually, no, yeah, the cones, uh, don't work well. 
And so your range between red and green usually are limited. And there, there's variances of how bad this is. But a lot of men can't see the difference between red and green in a stoplight. My future okay. His, he is creating his perception of the world with his eyes, and light for him is different than light from other people. The light itself is the same, but our perception of it, the colors, I, what light is to us happens in here. So what you're saying is yes. we all have different perceptions over the same events. Well, that would be one way to put it. There's actually a complicated philosophy Well, it's kind of like a white person explaining bigotry to an African-American. We see, we think we understand it. We don't because our perception might be different of bigotry than they African-Americans. Yeah. Because I've seen whites lecture African-Americans on why there's no bigotry when whites have not experienced bigotry. That's perception. Hey, on the other me. side of that, and I, as we argue perception, I have to get deep. you brought it in. You went down that path. I did. Uh, hey. <laughs> Here is a black case. That is red. That is red. You see that red case? You liar. I expect honesty from my students. My perception tells me that that's red. You're just going to accept that. Bill, do you accept that? That my perception says that that's red? If you're colorblind. Okay, yeah, exactly. I think a thing is a thing. Are you, are you being honest uh, uh, about that perception? Okay. <laughs> You're saying that two people can look at the same thing and interpret it in a different way? It's possible, yes. But isn't the thing still the thing? Yes. Okay. But okay, let's bring my career into this. Okay. I, two people, I teach on trauma. A person goes through and thinks, I've been traumatized by this. We have someone else that lectures them. You're ridiculous for being traumatized. I went through the same thing and I was not traumatized by that. Right. That is very disrespectful and incoherent because what's traumatic to one person may not be traumatic to another person. I, I'm, I have a fear of heights. Well, who doesn't have a fear of heights in here? <laughs> you have a fear of heights? Oh, well, come on, help me, somebody. You don't have a fear of heights. Right, well, I mean... I jumped out of an airplane once. I, okay, there, there's... That doesn't mean I wasn't terrified. You're a, you're a fool. In my, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but does that make you a fool? I mean, I'm just... Yeah, I mean, it kind of does. Yeah. Looking back on it, it but was I mean, a stupid decision. Or I go back... Because, I mean, I have people saying, wait a second, I was traumatized by this. And we have good, meaning people saying, oh, come on, get over it. It's not that traumatic. Because you see what I'm saying? Because no. then, because then we we do this because the same event is a perception. Adler, who I follow in my career, okay. he said you could have two boys under the same abused father, abusive father. Their perception is how it's the reality of the event is true, but their perceptions. One comes out and says, "You know what? I'm going to do the exact same thing to my son." That's the way you raise kids. The other one says. You know what? That really affected me so much. I'm going to go the opposite extreme. I won't even discipline my son. Both are their different perceptions over the same event. The event is real. The event is true. Their perceptions develop the path they go on. Right or wrong. So, so pulling so this back to light. Yes. Because <laughs> I'm lost here. <laughs> It was not my fault. It was his fault. No, he brought us I in. I agree. I just, I, I'm actually, I think it's very, very interesting conversation, but bring it back to right. Well, yeah, okay. We, we, uh, we're so kind of running. I got something to say because about this, because of the said, He said it was a small area. Yeah, yeah, and it went right down a hole. Well, it kept going. Well, can, I, can I take one more minute? Can all right, all right, one more minute. I think it goes back to the, the purpose of the writing of the gospel that you said earlier. John was older. This, yes. he, is the, he is the most experienced in age and experience yes, absolutely. of anybody. 
you've got to see the other Gospels were written as, hey, facts, we're at the beginning of this, we're teaching you this. John is at the time where Gnosticism and the false teachings are beginning to come into creep into the church and take over. In fact, he was being challenged by the young whippersnapper preachers saying, he's old school, we're new school, we got to, they were name dropping. Hey, I know this, never uh -huh. trust, a, trust a preacher who name drops. Ne that, I learned that in Bible college. Never trust a preacher who name drops. They were dropping names and saying, John didn't know this person. John didn't know this person. I know this person. This person asked me to preach at his church and stuff like that. John's coming back as the old experienced preacher saying, I'll show them by this wonderful talk. You, were you there when Jesus did this? So what is the light in John's definition, regardless of our uh, now, concepts of perception? This is a battle against Gnosticism to where there's levels of truth and it's based on, and they were saying Christ was not the word, Christ was just one other enlightened being. This is John challenging the perceptions that are being thrown out yeah, there. We'll, we'll get into that next okay, week. That's, that's fine, I'm, I just we're looking for a place to wrap it up. Gotcha. So that light is the, the truth, can we call it the truth? Gotcha. It's Christ. And it's, 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 it's the godly way, it, it's, it's, it's the walk, it, it's, it's, it's standing in the glory of God, it's, the light is our purpose. It's like the darkness that he's talking about is a spiritual darkness. Yes. Not, not so much the darkness like when we turn the lights out and it's dark in this room, but it was a spiritual darkness. He was trying to say that Christ's light overcomes that. But I think the equivalences between that and science is telling. I, th I, think, I think we're still using the same words. I think it means the same thing, but at a spiritual level. All things are spiritual, to quote one of my favorite speakers who's no longer in, never mind. Uh, okay, I am completely out of time, and uh, I'm sure people are coming for us at this point. So I am signing off, and uh, bye.